What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another Serious Angler podcast. Today, you are stuck with me, the captain, Andrew Full. Bailey is down at Lake Chickamauga practicing for the Hobie Kayak event, and he was going to join um, us and our guest tonight, but he lost power just recently at the Airbnb's Airbnb that he is staying at down there on the south end of Chickamauga near the Tennessee-Alabama border, I believe it is. So unfortunately, you're stuck with yours truly. Um, some things that are going on right now for the crew here. Uh, Adam Deacon from the business from the Bass Boat is out at the Delta, the California Delta, fishing the Toyota Series event. I believe he made the final day cut as a co-angler. I think he's sitting in like 10th place. He hasn't told us his standing update, but he said he made the final day cut. Um Bailey is chasing hardware down there at Lake Chickamauga, like I just said, in the Hobie kayak event. Hopefully he can get his second trophy in his second, well, I think this is his third or fourth, but second trophy in back-to-back events. And then for me, I just have a lot of guide trips coming up here on Lake Erie in Buffalo. Um, I have, I think, I counted out 19 in the next 23 days starting on Monday. So it's going to be a pretty busy June, which... I absolutely love June up here. Uh, we can catch them deep, shallow, any way we want, and it is just an absolute riot. But without further ado, let's get our guest on here, Bryant Smith of the TNPFL. Uh, we love getting the TNPFL guys on. We don't get them on quite enough. So without further ado, let's get them on here. Hey, Bryant, how's it going, man? Hey, Andrew, I really appreciate you having me on. Awesome. I'm glad we're finally able to uh, make it happen here. So you're just down at Watts Bar. You flew home and now you're on the Serious Angler podcast. How are you feeling? Oh, I'm loving it. You know, I wouldn't trade this life for anything else. Um, You know, living in California, I get a lot of I I get on a lot of planes to to do what I do. But, uh, you know, there's uh, there's nothing better than to fish for a living. Do you ever miss leaving the boat behind? Every time. Uh, honestly, it's kind of depressing when I, you know, pack everything up and I get my one little bag of clothes and I realize that all of my fishing here is going to be at least 1,500 miles away from me for the next month. Because when I leave, uh, you know, when I leave California to start the year, I don't. I don't come back. I can't make a pit stop at home and, you know, refill this bait or, you know, swap these rods out for a different rod. I have to bring everything I own. So uh, when I come home, it kind of sucks. Yeah. And I mean, you have to have some friends around the lakes that you're going to, or have at least a trustworthy person that you can leave everything at too. So that makes it the dynamic of it pretty tough. I would assume. Yeah, yeah. The planning uh, that goes into these things is—it's uh, it, way more than I thought it, than I ever thought it would be. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, it's just part of it. Uh, you know, you kind of just take your chances and try to do your research on where to leave the you know truck in the boat. And if you know, I'm lucky enough to have a friend or uh, you know an acquaintance out there, uh, you know, that makes it all the more easier. Um, we do have to use storage units sometimes. Uh, me, I, I travel with Jake Boomer. I think he's been on this, and uh, we've uh, we've had quite a few really interesting scenarios <laughs> leaving our stuff back there. Um, at one point, for one of the tournaments, we had my truck, 
at one place, my boat at another place, his truck at one place, and then his boat at another place. So they had four vehicles and they were all in different places. And we had to go uh, gather them up before the <laughs> tournament. So logistically, like hunt. yeah, it was, it was <laughs> exactly like that. And uh, logistically, it makes it interesting sometimes, but it's all part of it and uh, all part of the fun. Yeah. The life of a professional bass fisherman. I do not envy any of you. Um, I always joke around. It's like, yeah, it'd be a dream to say I qualified for like a professional tour, but I don't know if I would ever do it because I just can't wrap my head around a lot of the dynamics of all the planning that goes into it. I don't even like planning for vacations, right? Like I look at my wife and I'm like, do it yourself and I'll just go along for the ride. <laughs> so like, I get it, man. Yeah. It, it's a lot. Um, I was never, I was the same way before, uh, before I came out, out East and, mm -hmm. you know, when I would, I would show up just a, a tournament on the West coast, just to, you know, I don't know where I'm staying. I'm driving there. I don't know where I'm staying. I don't know if I'm even in the tournament yet. And, you know, just let it roll. Yeah. And now you can't do that. <laughs> you can't do that when you're, you know, sometimes two, 2,200 miles away and you got to have everything planned out. Absolutely. Now, do you see yourself moving east in the future and staying in the TMPFL, or are you looking just to continue the wild plane riding commute and planning of boat and truck storage for like from here till who knows when? Yeah, I mean, the, the, I'll be back east uh, eventually. I'll have something back there eventually, whether it's just a piece of property that I park my truck on, truck and boat on, and you know, leave it in a, a garage, or or we move the family out there. Um, I'll have something out there eventually. But uh, as of right now, uh, you know, my wife's six months pregnant, and we want to stay around uh, family. Thank yeah. you, I appreciate it. Yeah, we want to stay around friends and family for now, especially with how much I'm gone. Um, having that support system for her is, is going to be huge. Yeah. Is that so, your first one? That is our first one. Yeah. A little uh, boy. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah. So. Yeah. We actually, uh, the due date, we got pretty lucky on. It's right. If if he's anywhere around the due date, I will be I'll be home, so that'll be good. I mean, I'll be home regardless, but I won't be missing a turn. So six months that puts her at what? At end of July? Oh yeah, September. Uh, September and uh, yeah, it's right. It's right after our uh, NPFL at Sandusky Bay, and then right before the last Southern Open at uh, Hartwell. Awesome. So I. You're fishing the Southern Opens for bass, aren't you? Or... Yeah, yeah, I'm fishing awesome. those, and then yeah, MPFL, and then uh, the Southern Opens. Awesome. That's trying to complicate like my fun. life. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> great with a with a newborn on the way too. Good thing the season will be ending, so you can get home. A uh, little fatherly advice: the first uh, nine months is hell until you can start sleep training. Um, Perfect. My daughter is almost three years old, and we have her on a seven p.m sleep schedule so she's in bed at 7 p.m every night she sleeps till six so if you can get on that train do it because oh, they I'll are be, not grumpy yeah. <laughs> i'll be hitting you up for some uh, info on how to do that for sure so and I'll, and I'll forward you over to my wife because she has all these programs but she she's got it figured out so that's pretty yeah, so 
let's digress a little bit here and kind of go back to your beginning of time before we get too far down the rabbit hole. Who got you into fishing in the first place? Like, how old were you? Your first cast, first fish. Like, lay out the story for us. Man. I mean, so we got a lot of little reservoirs. And I'm talking, like, walk around in 20-minute little reservoirs. But it's all those stock trout um, reservoirs. And my dad would always take me to those places. and, And we'd go, you know, let's soak some power bait and... You know, if we catch a trout, cool. If we don't, you know, we had a good time. That was, you know, those are my first memories of fishing in general. And then uh, it's kind of funny. I was actually in my uh, my grandfather's um, old tool shop. He just had a little shop in the back of uh, my grandmother's house. And I saw, you know, he was into the outdoors, you know, hunting, fishing, all that stuff. It didn't really matter what. And he had a it was like a 1999 Bass Pro catalog. And I just started looking through it. And, and immediately I was captivated by the maps. And I had, I, I had no idea what any of this stuff was. I had no idea who all these people were. I'm sure Kevin Van Dam was on there. I had no idea. But I was just captivated by, you know, the lures and, and the bass and all that stuff. And, and it took me, I want to say, about a year of kind of researching and, and, you know, watching some TV. You know, we didn't have the internet like we do now. We didn't have YouTube. We didn't have all these great, you know, podcasts like yours to to kind of get some info really quick. So I just, it was a slow process. But about a year later, uh, you know, I had my first rod and reel for, bay, uh, for bass. And, and I think I had, uh, it was a little um, lure Jensen speed trap. And me and my nice. family, yeah, chrome and blue. And me and my family were out on a, uh, a local lake on a pontoon boat rental. And uh, I made a cast next to this piece of wood. It was, a, you know, just a stick up. I don't know. I couldn't tell you how deep it was. I couldn't tell you anything about inches. where that spot was. <laughs> yeah, it could have been inches. I have no idea. And I just remembered I threw that that lure Jensen little, little square bill out. And before I can even reel, uh, you know, I say it was a three pounder. I have no idea what it actually weighed, but uh, it blew up on it and I just reeled it in. And man, I mean, like everybody says, I was hooked from there and I've just been ate up with it ever since. Uh, amazing. Now, oh man, it's funny. You, if, you probably wish you still had that lure Jensen speed trap from back then because they don't make them like they used to. First point. But uh, yeah. You might still I, have it. I think I do. I don't think it has any paint on it, though. Yeah, because it's probably caught so many fish. <laughs> it had, yeah, it caught a couple after that, for sure. So let, let's fast forward a little bit now on, like, the timeline. Do you remember your first bass tournament that you actually fished, and who did you fish it with? I do. Um, I couldn't tell you when it was. Let's see if I do. I think about it. it was probably 2008. Yeah, that sounds. It was 2007 or 2008. It was on Lake Berryessa in Northern California, um, just above Napa, just above Wine Country, and it was uh, late March. And I fished it with uh, with my dad actually, and uh, we went out there. And our goal was to catch a limit. We caught a limit. We probably finished middle of the pack, but uh, you know, it's 
it's a day I'll never forget. You know, I could I could remember running around that place. It was flat calm. There was we ended up catching some bed fish, catching some worm fish. It was just uh, it was the beginning of the end because I'll never be able to get away from from tournament fishing. And if that's one thing that we can all have in common as fishermen, right? It's like the first tournament that all of us roll up to. It it could either go two ways. One. We absolutely become captivated and enthralled by it and just dive 100% in face first. And most of us <laughs> fail and crash and burn. Or you run away and be like, I'm never doing this again because you never caught a fish. But when they say that a week later, they're at the next tournament. So, absolutely. Like, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> the competition's everything for me, man. Yeah. Uh, I love fishing. I love fun fishing. And, and it's, you know, if I catch a big one, fun fishing, I, it's a great time. Or, you know, I go out, catch 40, you know, I have a blast. But mm-hmm. when you put the competition in there for me, there's there's nothing better. Yeah, I agree. I um, I was going to take the summer off from fishing tournaments because I wanted to focus straight on guiding up mm-hmm. here on Lake Erie and the Finger Lakes in New York State. And like the beginning of May came around, I was like, dang it. I got to sign up for some derbies. So I signed up for like three or four now. And I'm like, oh, here we go. That rabbit hole. Like, Oh, oh yeah. But you I, can't stay I can't away. wait. No, I can't wait. Because once you have a tiny bit of success, it's like all you want to do is Absolutely. fish tournaments. Absolutely. So, all right, let's jump into that now. You were a West Coast tournament angler. You had a ton of success, right? In the Wild West Trail, I think I read. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, did well in that one. Um, back when FLW, fished FLW when I was back there, the Toyotas now. So what made you want to jump into the net, was it the National Professional Fishing League? Because I always forget they put the T in front of it. Mm-hmm. So what yeah. made you want to make that jump and come east and southeast and northeast in their tournament trail? Because it's kind of spread out pretty mm-hmm. well the way they do it. So what made you decide to jump ship from the west coast and kind of commute all the way to the midwest of the east coast to fish a newly founded professional trail yeah um it's kind of funny how it worked out i so backtrack a little bit in 2020 i fished the central opens for Bassmaster, so that was kind of my first um experience of fishing a circuit back east you know i've come back here back east a few times to do uh, what was then the FLW championships, but I've never fished, you know, multiple events in one year. Mm-hmm. So I kind of wet my feet with the, the Bassmaster Opens. Uh, and I really liked it. Uh, I didn't do very well, but I really liked going to new places uh, and trying to figure them out. You know, that's one of my favorite things to do is, is to go to a new place, uh, not necessarily blind, but, you know, do my research and, and all that and then try to figure out the fish on a place that I've never put my boat in. So I did the opens. Um, I was planning on doing the opens the following year as well in uh, 2021. And I actually got a call from who is now my travel partner for the NPFL, Jake Boomer. I'm and sorry. he was like, I know, I know. I'm <laughs> up with them. 
<laughs> Great guy. I mean, he is, he is. We have a good time. But uh, I got a call from him because I'd heard about the NPFL and, and all uh, all that, and, and I thought about I actually thought about putting uh, my resume in when uh, when they first came out. And I just didn't end up doing it. Uh, you know, I wanted to do the Bassmaster thing, do the opens and all that. And I got a call from him. And he was basically what the conversation was. How it went was, if you want to go do this, I'll do it with you. And he was like, I can get you in. You know, all you got to do is, you know, send in your resume and, and they'll, they'll look it over. And I'm pretty sure they'll approve you for it. So, um, you know, that night, talked to the wife. And, and thought about it for a few days and, and you know i went over where the, you know all the information i could on how they were going to do things and, and how it was going to go this i think the schedule was out if no i can't remember if the schedule was out or not. It, schedule didn't matter um but we decided to do it give it a shot because that's always you know that's the dream especially on the west coast is, is the dream is to go back east and compete at a high level and uh you know, the, but the whole draw to it for me was was fishing new places, fishing places that I've never, never been to. And that that challenge, because, um, you know, no matter no matter what, no matter what anybody says, uh, fishing your home bodies of water, it kind of gets stagnant after a little while where you just you end up doing the same thing, you know, because it works. Right. Mm-hmm. You're not going to. And, and it kind of made me, I kind of just fell into a lull of do, you know, I had, I had success and, and I'm going to keep doing the same thing to get me that success. But it wasn't, it wasn't driving my, my, uh, it wasn't making my brain work very hard anymore. So the whole appeal to the MPFL for me was, uh, you know, fishing for uh, bigger money and then fishing new places. That was, that was it. Um, and just the challenge of it. Yeah. And they did, uh, from my understanding, kind of tuning in every event. I try to watch every one of them, at least here and there. And for a new organization, of course, they had hiccups. Everybody, I think, expected them possibly to have a few hiccups here and there. But mm-hmm. I think the inaugural season went pretty well. You know, um, they're not going to hide it about the the championship that we didn't have, uh, but they made it right. Uh, you know, I was a qualifier for that championship. They made it right, and and besides that, um, I think they absolutely knocked it out of the park their first year. And um, they were honest and open with all the anglers very, too about what was going on, which speaks volumes to the ownership of the league. They could yeah. just left you guys high and dry and be like, "We're done." Like, absolutely absolutely you know there was there was an easy way out there and uh they didn't take it they they decided to do it the right way in my eyes and and uh you know i give them a ton of credit for that and that's why i'm fishing it again this year yeah that was gonna be my next question was due to the way that they responded to the issues that were at hand and the way they treated you guys is that the ultimate reason why you went back this it season? is it is, you know, I've never, um, I've never met uh, an ownership group that was so invested in the anglers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't know what their end goal with this is. Uh, you know, they could, you know, their end goal could be to sell it, whatever it is. It doesn't matter. Uh, what matters to me is is the way they they treat 
the anglers and uh man they i remember the first the first tournament at ufala last year uh me and jake were naturally running late um to the first day <laughs> of the first tournament <laughs> and uh you know they wanted everything to be right and they wanted everybody to be on time so uh one of the owners brad fuller literally jumped in my truck and backed me into the water and said hey my keys are going to be you know in the in the gas cap you know go get over there and and that just that really opened my eyes to how all in they are for the anglers and and they've they showed it all year long yeah that's that's actually awesome that the owner of the league jumped mm-hmm. in your truck to back you yeah you won't yeah, see that was, anywhere no you will not um that was that was it was pretty much at that moment i knew we were in good hands and this this thing was gonna it was gonna go places yeah well let's hope that trend continues uh, like a funny little story here before we continue forward half the time you can't even get a friend to back you down the boat ramp because they want to <laughs> get in the water and be ready to go so it's like you're stranded but good luck and for the owner to step in and do that that just speaks volumes to me so it does, that, it does that's an yeah. awesome story so Kind of something unique to the TMPFL, right? Is the three-day everyone competes. So, like, for the viewers and listeners that are listening to this, when you get to the Bass Opens, there's a massive cut after day two. Or if you're fishing, like, the pro circuits, it's a cut after two and then a final cut on day four. MPFL does it differently where they fish all three days. How do you feel about that, Brian? You know, when I first um, when I first heard it, I, I, I had mixed feelings about it because, um, and, and honestly, it was, it was for selfish reasons. Um, you know, in my history, usually I'm pretty good at having a good first day, falling off a little bit the second day, and then uh, you know, if, if I fish the third day and I'm not gonna, you know, if I'm not doing so, I, I just Generally, I decline throughout my tournament. So I was actually really worried about it. You know, I'm not one of the guys that uh, my weights get better throughout the tournament a lot of the times. So I was, I was, I was concerned about it. And the first, uh, again, going back to you, follow the first, uh, the first tournament last year. I think I was in check range in, you know, whatever it was, the twenties. I was like, man, this sucks. Because if there was go. a cut, yeah, I was like, oh, I'm going to blow it tomorrow. You know, terrible, <laughs> terrible mental game. But uh, I was like, oh, you got to be kidding me. I'm in check range, and, and here we go. We're going to blow it on day three. And, and uh, you know, there goes my money, uh, you know, down that rabbit hole. Um, but I scrapped it together and, you know, ended up getting a check. And throughout the year, I actually – I totally changed my mind on, on how I felt about it. Uh, I think, first of all, it, it really shows who's on them and not so much, you know, in one way or another, but, you know, who can adapt throughout a tournament? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of guys, and I'm one of them, I, I can usually after practice, I could catch them the first day. If I'm on anything, I can catch them the first day. All right. Second day, it trails off a little bit. And then the third day, I just kind of, go fishing um and, and hope for the best but you know the guys that can adapt throughout a three-day tournament they really do deserve to get a check 
and and when you have the full field uh and you're never really out of that tournament uh you know it forces you to to really try to figure out how to adapt and how to change throughout three days of competition because i mean if you've ever fished a multi-day tournament you very rarely do you ever catch them the same way on day one that you're going to catch them on day two or day three? You know, there's some similarities, but usually there's always an adjustment you have to make or two or three to, to kind of follow the fish, either follow the fish or the weather changes or, uh, you know, fishing pressure, you know, what have you. There's always going to be some sort of change in between competition days and, you know, the longer you have the full field competing, um, the more change you're going to have to deal with. And that's when that's when the anglers that you know deserve to get paid that week, that's when they're going to make their money is, is day three. Um, you know, because that's I mean, you look at any tournament uh, results in the history of bass fishing and day three is always the hardest day for sure. Oh. And, uh, you know, I. I like I said, not long-winded, but uh, I, I, I've changed my mind on it for sure. I really enjoy it. Um, and, and, you know, the added pressure of, of, you know, knowing that you could fall out on day three, too, you know, it, it adds more excitement, and, and it it really forces you to make a, a good adjustment. Could, um, you know, when I would make a top 10, say, in a, the, what is it, a Toyota series now, uh, you know, the top 10 days, if I know I'm not in contention, you know, and I've been to where, you know, I got like 15 pounds to make up, you guys just running away with it. You can, I, I found myself just kind of going and having fun. You know, obviously I want to go move up, but, um, you know, there's not that that pressure that, yeah. uh, that you would get, you know, because you can only drop to 10. Yeah. Only Let me ask 10. you kind of like piggybacking off of that when you're in that top 10 there's no pressure like you're in ninth place you're like oh i could lose 200 dollars mm -hmm. in that tournament but you're like well i'll just go out and have fun fish the way i want to fish and if it aligns i might be able to jump up five places too mm -hmm. so it's like mm -hmm. you you go into it much more relaxed so you fish free do you see your land percentage go up on days like that or like your hookup percentage like when you're free, you're just having fun. I feel like those are the best days you ever have on the water those for whatever reason. Those are the best days. Um, and, and you just, it's because you just go fishing. You know, mm -hmm. how many times do you show up, you know, you got a free weekend and you just go fishing for fun and it's, you're relaxed. You go, hey, I'm just, that looks good. I'm going to go over there. Oh, you know, wind's blowing this way. I'm going to go throw a spinnerbait up there and eat. You know, it, it's just easy on those days. Yeah. Um, but you know, when when you got when you can fall on that third day and you can fall out of check range, pressure's on, and it. I love it. I love it. It makes you. It just when you put yourself in situations like that, it makes you a better angler. Yeah, I guess you could say like in reverse effect too. If you're sitting like 20 places out of check range, you're like, you know, I'm just going to have fun today. I'm fishing anyways. If I crack mm -hmm. like 20 pounds, oh, I might be able to sneak out a check here. Like kudos. Like this yeah. is fun. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's awesome. It's awesome. I, I love, I think, uh, I think it's something that more tournament circuits should adopt. I, I really do. Um, yeah. You know, it just adds it adds to the tournament. It really does. You know, it, and it gives those guys 
it, it gives those guys, you know, maybe you're in 50-something place just out of a check on day two. You have that opportunity. You know, you figured – say you figured them out on day two. Uh, you have yeah. that opportunity to move up. And, and I think – I. I truly believe that the guy, if, if you can catch him on day three and move up into check range, you're the guy that deserves to get paid. Yeah. Um, no doubt. Because it's the hardest day period to catch a fish. It is the hardest day. Period. Yes. The absolute hardest day to catch him. And let's also and talk about this. Day threes are usually on Saturdays. So now you have even more pressure on the water, right? Mm-hmm. Because the locals are out. All the guides are out. They have guide trips on Saturdays. Your yep. cat fishermen are out trawling around big oh, catfish yeah. lines because they're not working their nine to five. Yeah. Like it's um, yeah, it, it's, weekend it's fishing a, is. Whew. Sorry, go ahead. It's a whole nother dynamic yeah. you have to worry about. Um, you know, it, it was really interesting. At Pickwick, I, Pickwick really stands out in my head uh, because we went there in July and, and they were on ledges and you know it was pretty much. Every fish, it wasn't like uh, earlier in the year where, you know, you got fish up shallow still and, or like just like at Watts Bar um, where you had fish all the way in between. Pickwick was, they're on the ledge, they're on their deepest spot, they're going to be that year. Uh, and Saturday rolled around. And man, I, sometimes I would have to drive past 15 to 20 spots to finally land on a school that nobody was sitting on. Like it was stressful. That's insane. You're just like, will I ever find fishable water? (laughs) (laughs) Or find a buddy like, hey, can I come in here? (laughs) Please let me make a few casts. Yeah. Yeah. That's a a great point you brought up. Yeah, because it's usually on Saturday, and Saturdays are the busy days for sure. And TVA change, you also have to worry about how much water they pull as well for Mm -hmm. those ledge Mm -hmm. fish. So that's an entirely different dynamic. So, well, ugh. Yeah, I don't envy anybody who fishes the TBA chain. <laughs> if I want to go, if I were to go down there and fish, I'd probably go Monday through Friday so I know they're pulling current because everyone's running their AC mm-hmm. units. And yeah. then uh, Saturday, Sunday, I'll drive my myself back to New York, I think. <laughs> That's the way to do it, man. <laughs> Plus, don't be in it. you don't have to worry about any of the cabin cruisers, the yachts going down there, waking you out. Oh. You got free reign of the lake to go and land on whatever school you want yeah that's the way to tba for sure perfect and thanks for the <laughs> advice so now we just fi- you just finished a tournament right last week that the elite series pro patty walters won mm-hmm. um which is kind of crazy that he hopped over and decided to fish the mpfl with you guys i wonder what his reasoning was for that but Watts Bar, how did that tournament go for you and did it play like into a wheelhouse of yours or was it scattered like from what I witnessed, it was rather junky, like when it came to fishing style. Yeah. Oh, it was it was an absolute junk fest for me. And um, if anybody knows me, knows my style of fishing, I like to have, if I have four rods on the deck, like it's getting crowded. I need to, I need to eliminate some rods. It, yeah. My best tournaments are always um, when I have two rods and, two or three rods and you know the same baits on two of them like when i'm dialed in like that that's when i have my best tournaments but um watch bar was not that way it was in between um you know it you could catch them out in 
25 feet of water and you could catch them in a foot and a half of water or six inches really like it, and anywhere in between too there's just that post spawn you know waves are kind of coming out to the deeper spots but they're stopping on the way and then there's still a couple fish on beds and there's a couple fish you know hanging around bluegill beds and up in the shell it was absolute junk fest um i actually talked to bradley holman he was he was there doing the on the water stuff for us and he would talk to us after every day you know how'd your day go and all that stuff and and the final day he asked me what i caught him on during the tournament and i looked at my front deck and i had about 15 rods on my front deck that's not good that's times five what you like (laughs) it's bad it was bad (laughs) and i looked at the front deck and i was like dude i'm pretty sure i weighed fish on nine of these rods all different baits on nine different baits i caught them uh, a keeper fish on um and it was it was an absolute junk fish i i caught them on a i caught a flip and a strike king rage bug I caught a, on a deep diver, 6XD, uh, a big 8-inch bullworm, a spinnerbait, a swim jig, drop shot, shaky head. I weighed a, a, a sexy dogfish, the, walk, the striking walking bait. So that's eight. And I want to say there was one more that I weighed uh, weighed one of my fish on. So yeah, it has was, to be a wacky Sanko. It's always a wacky Sanko. If it might have been. It might have been. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but yeah, it, like I said, if anybody knows me, that is that is not the way I like to fish. So, um, you know, coming out of there with a top ten was was an absolute. Uh, it was a great surprise to me. Uh, yeah, congrats! Because I knew I wasn't. I appreciate it. I knew I wasn't on much um, going into that tournament, and I knew it was going to be the junk, the junk fishing uh, tournament of the year, where you just kind of you go and fly by the seat of your pants and turn and burn all derby. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> what it was, man. And uh, it was tough for me, but uh, to come out of there with the seventh place, I'll take it any day of the week for sure. Absolutely. Now. I didn't follow Watts Bar extremely close. I kind of tuned in here and there. Were you in the top 10 or 12 going into the final day, or did you make a big jump up and to get in? Um, I actually, I was in 14th the first day, and I fell a little bit the second day to 18th, and then the third day I ended up in 7th. So I had a good final day. Um, that's one of the cool things about the MPFL, uh, the way they do their flights on the third day, you earn your fishing, you earn your fishing time. Uh, oh, that's a cool point. Yeah. So, you know, um, day one, you know, we go out in order day two, we reverse the order. And then day three, we go out. Boat number one is who's in first place. And then not only do they get to go out first, but they're going to be in the last flight to come in. So you're going to, yeah, you're going to earn your fishing. So, um day three patrick walters was in the lead he went out boat number one so that secure you know if he's got a good spot he deserves to be there first if that's where he wants to be and then he also gets to weigh in last uh he gets that last flight so i think he got to come in at 5 15. um i was in the second long day yeah it is a long day but um then you earn your fishing time and, and i think it's the it's the fairest way to do it but uh, I was fortunate to have that long day because it took me till about one o'clock to figure out what I needed to do. 
um, to catch them that, that last day. I think I only had three keepers at about 1230 mm -hmm. and uh, to figure them out. It, it took me the rest of the day to figure them out. Well, good job overcoming the adversity and not <laughs> continuing on your downward trajectory that we we're talking about earlier. Oh, so. it was, uh, I was, I was spinning out big time for sure. So that was, well, that, uh, I was, I'd that's one of my favorite parts about junk fishing derby. So is that you're never really out of it because all it takes is to pick up the right lure at the right time on any given cast. You can catch that next keeper you need. And as soon as you set that rod down, the same thing could happen as soon as you yeah. pick up the next one. I yeah. personally hate junk fishing, but I love it at the same time because you just never know. There's yeah, like a lot yeah. of randomness that goes with it, and it's kind of exciting. Yeah, and you only, I mean, that's the cool thing when you're, you know, I, I don't prefer it, but it, it's a great way to kind of figure the fish out. You know, you just, you're always staying fresh. You're never locked into one thing to where you miss out on other stuff. Because, like I said, I, I would I would go out deep and I would catch one on a, you know, the eight inch bullworm, and then I would, okay, I haven't gotten bitten in like, or, you know, I haven't caught a keeper in a half hour. Let me go try up shallow and flip some wood and then I'll catch a keeper there. Oh, the, you know, it was actually, uh, it was pretty cool because a storm blew in that morning and I hadn't thrown a spinnerbait at all in that whole tournament, but it was raining and it was windy and I knew they were in that wood up shallow and I picked and I tied on a spinnerbait and second cast, I catch a keeper on it. So that's the cool thing about those junk fishing tournaments is you're always staying fresh and you're never locked into one thing to where you'll miss out on something else. And, and that's honestly, that's the way you want to, I, I, that's the way I try to practice too, is, is keep everything fresh like that. It's yeah. a great point. So as we jump forward here, now you're what halfway through almost halfway through the second season on the mpfl circuit mm -hmm. so what would you say has been your most memorable or favorite tournament to this point in the mpfl series and i want to take it one step further after the mpfl what is your most memorable or favorite tournament of all time or fishing memory okay i got that um actually the my favorite one uh was Grand Lake last year um, to end our regular season. It was it was my best finish. Uh, I think I ended up in third, so I was really proud of that. Uh, the fishing wasn't it wasn't great, but it was uh, it was a way I really liked to fish. You know, I picked up uh, Strike King Sexy Dog, the, the one knock version, mm -hmm. and I literally I got to bounce around. Uh, you know, pick my troll motor up 50 times in a day and just came in on isolated pieces of wood um, and, and cover on the bank. And, and man, that is my absolute favorite way to fish. I keep one, you know, I keep a power fishing technique in my hand and I try to pull my trolling motor as many times as I can. Just keep fishing high percentage spot. There is nothing more fun to me than doing that. So, um, you know, not only did I get to catch them a really fun way for me, but uh, also had a great finish on top of that. So that was definitely, that was my favorite um, NPFL tournament so far. Um, but man, I mean, to be honest, they were all, they were all a ton of fun to be fair. But uh, my favorite, my most memorable tournament fishing uh, uh, tournament, I guess, uh, would have to be the Wild West Championship, their first year. 
um, you know, I've had, I've had some success, uh, you know, fishing those tournaments and fishing the, what was then the FLWs. Uh, and, you know, I was always, you know, top 10 here, top 10 there, get a check. You know, I was consistent, uh, you know, pretty good at getting in the top 10, but I can never win one. And it always, you know, I would always get those messages like, hey, you know, just keep it going. You know, if you keep getting in the top 10, you're going to win one eventually. It, it, you know, and, you know, I was hoping that was the case, but it was like, when's my time? When is my time? Like, I just want to win one of these so bad. Uh, and uh, it was funny because I had, uh, you know, growing up on the West Coast, you hear a lot about Lake Mead. And that's where it was. Uh, that's where that tournament was. It was on Lake Mead, and I tried to avoid Lake Mead uh, as much as I could, and I, I did a very good job. I'd never fished the Lake Mead <laughs> before that tournament because it just scared the fire out of me, man. I mean, you hear about boats sinking at the U.S. Open, motors getting ripped off because they hit an island that's not marked, you know, six-foot waves. I know you're used to that, but I'm from California. I'm not yeah. used to those big waves like that. I don't know how to drive in that stuff, and, and – yeah. You know, I always, it, it, that lake really did scare me uh, just because of all the things I've heard. And, you know, come, come to find out, it really is not that bad at all. It's actually a, an incredible tournament lake. But um, long story short, I practiced for three days. We had three days of practice. I had two keeper bites in those three days. Um, if Great. anybody knows Lake Mead, it, it is literally the toughest fishery you will ever fish on. Um, but it's a great tournament lake because anybody can win uh, any given day on that place. It's a truly fair playing field where local advantage really doesn't mean much. And uh, anyway, I got two keeper bites in practice and I ended up winning the tournament off of one of, you know, I ran a pattern based off of one of those keeper bites. Um, I got one keeper bite throwing a soft jerk bait in the back of the pockets with grass and i did what i like to do with that and that's just run as many as i can all day long and hope for the best and uh, i was fortunate enough to win that tournament finally get that monkey off my back and uh man it's it's it was a super special moment and something i'll never forget yeah when it's your time it's the best time and superior gratification usually comes to those who wait so mm -hmm. and in fishing we have no choice of waiting so nope. like the gratification is always great unless you win it on your first bout which then it's like yeah. oh well, how can i stop this but <laughs> yeah 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 so yeah, it uh it, it's why it's what keeps me coming back that's for sure yeah. it's awesome so now we're gonna dump jump back kind of backwards here and that we moved out from the west to the east coast to fish tournaments how did learning how to fish on the west coast help you achieve all of the success that you're having in the limited time that you've fished the midwest to the east what do you attribute it to you man that's a great question and uh it's something I actually talk about a lot. Like if I'm talking to high school kids or doing a seminar or wherever, um, in California, more specifically in Northern California, we are so incredibly lucky to have the lakes we have um, around us. And I truly think it's one of the best training grounds that there is. 
for building a bath angler. Um, the West Coast in general, and then, you know, if you really delve into it, it, Northern California, you won't find much more of uh, a diverse group of bodies of water than in Northern California. Um, we got tidal fishery, which is, you know, you're, all, you're already limited on tidal fishery because you're only going to, there's only so many states that actually touch the ocean. So we have a tidal fishery, California Delta. We have the natural big bass factory at Clear Lake, um, which actually it correlates to so many lakes back east. It, it's pretty crazy. Um, we have all our mother load lakes, which are um, spotted bass and largemouth, kind of like they're almost like table rock, um, bull shoals kind of lakes where you know you're, you're fishing rocks and you gotta know how to fish rock transition and stuff like that, channel swings, all that stuff. Like high, high mountain reservoir type yeah, of water. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And then we got the true spotted bass fisheries, um, Lake Shasta, Lake Oroville, which Lake Shasta is my favorite body of water and the spotted bass is my favorite fish to catch. And knowing, you know, training myself throughout the years on those bodies of water, that that really gives you uh, a full circle um, uh, confidence in, in all your techniques because you know if I go to the delta I got to know how to throw a chatterbait I got to know how to throw uh, a top water um, I got to know how to flip grass if I go to Clear Lake I got to know how to fish docks I got to know how to fish uh, ledges there's actually some really good ledges in Clear Lake um, you know it doesn't have the current like a TVA but they set up the same way. Um, we got rock piles out there. So you got to know how to fish deep and shallow. You got to know how to throw a frog up there. Um, and then we go to those mother load lakes where you, you got to know how to throw a swim bait there. Uh, if you want to compete and go up to Shasta, you got to know how to finesse fish, you know, throw a Nico rig, throw a drop shot, stuff like that. Um, and you, at least for me, I, I think I came out a very versatile angler because of that. Um, and like it's the same thing I always say. Northern California really does breed that that really versatile angler. Where I am just as confident with fifty pound braid and a flipping stick as I am with six pound test and uh, you know like a Nico rig, something mm -hmm. like that. Finesse fishing, uh, and that's what it's it's really it, it really when you have a schedule like we have in the NPFL where we go from, you know, like last year, we go from Eufaula to Pickwick, you know, we go to Texas, you gotta go flip them. You gotta go up to Wisconsin and go throw some finesse stuff and go back down to Grand Lake. And now we're fishing wood and rocks. Um, and then we go to this year, we've had Cumberland, uh, which is big small mouth on uh, Highland Reservoir. And then we have Hartwell, which is spotted bass, um spotted bass fishing and blueback herring fishing you know and then we just came from watch bar which is tva and and uh it ended up being junk fishing you know having confidence in, in everything in your in your boat is is it's been so crucial for me because i can go and if i see the the scenario where i need to go pick up a square bill i have 100 percent confidence in it. And, and you know and that's from you know my days at clear Lake. You know, where they eat a square bill. Or if I go to Florida, you know, I was at Florida 
for the first Bassmaster Open this year in Kissimmee. And I had to go pick up a flipping stick and go punch Hyacinth bats to catch them on the, the first day. 100% confident in that. And that comes from the Delta. You know, I've seen those scenarios and, and seeing those scenarios as well as doing my research and, and figuring out, you know, what I need to be looking for. Um, you know, that, that, I think that's the biggest, the biggest advantage I've had coming from the West Coast. Because I've never, I mean, I've never seen these places before. We get we get two or three days to look around before um, before I fly back and before official practice. And usually those are just uh, you know kind of scout out what the lake looks like. Is it treacherous? Do I need to you know do I need to look for you know boat lanes or you know what do I need to, navigation? I guess I should say. Uh, I don't do a lot of fishing on those days. Uh, I'll graph around, look for brush piles, whatever it may be. And then I got three days to break it down to find them. So uh, being versatile and having confidence with every rod you have in your rod locker, it's it's kind of what I built uh, built my fishing career on. Okay. It's like the timeless saying in fishing, right? Like nobody does the exact thing the same, but if you have confidence in what you're doing, Anybody can catch them as long as you have confidence in your tools, your equipment, you can catch them. And I mean, any tournament you watch on live streams, right? If you watch it for the most part, unless you're on a ledge body of water, like it seems like every tour is on currently, they're either burning like a crankbait or a hair jig or a football jig. But if you go to like a diverse body of water, that's not a TVA chain, like you'll see the top 10 all doing different things usually. There might be some things mixed in, but they'll be fishing it completely different. Absolutely. So like, and that and that's the craziest part to to me about fishing is the fact that nobody is wrong in how they do it as long as you personally have confidence in what you're doing. Absolutely. Absolutely. One hundred percent. So we um we'll kind of move forward here again, but you already said your favorite thing to do is fish top water around trees and laydowns and I'm assuming probably riprap and like stuff that kind of correlates in yeah. there together. Anything. Yeah. But uh, what made you become so heavy in loving the topwater technique? Is it just the blow ups or is it just the fact that it gets bit all day long and that it's usually your biggest fish that bite it throughout the day? And then it's That's- not just a morning bait. Yeah, that's that that's the key there, and that's the that's always the biggest misconception, right? Is is I'm gonna pick up my top water till the sun comes up and then put it down and, and go slow, and that's just not the case, man. That it, I get my biggest top water bites from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Um, I don't know why. I don't know if it's just because when it's casting the shadow straight down. I don't know if that's just when big ones like to feed. I don't really ask questions. I just know I've noticed from years of doing it, it your biggest bites are going to come in the middle of the day. But it's also, it's a technique, especially if you're doing it all day, like I was doing it on Grand. It's a technique where you have to stay mentally engaged in it the whole time. Um, if you look away, if you, you know, drift off um, and you miss, you know, a fish boiling on it or, or you know, you, you just miss something that happens um, during your retrieve, you know, that's a chance at, 
you know, you might have missed a chance of winning the tournament there because that could have been mm-hmm. the biggest fight you get all day. Um, so just the the fact that you have to be so mentally engaged with it, you have to pay attention, um, and then put that on top of you know throwing it around isolated cover, isolated wood where you have to really be on your casting game that day. Uh, you know every day you do it, and then uh, you know running around like a crazy man, which is what I love to do. You know put all those three things together. Like that is that is my ideal day to go bass fishing, and then you know obviously we love the topwater gloves too. Yeah, yeah there's um, it's something that once the water hits, like it's weird up here in New York, and I'm talking like Finger Lakes and stuff mm-hmm. in our inland lakes, not the Great Lakes. Um, there's something about when that water hits like 63 degrees, and they get post spawn, and then they'll eat nothing but a topwater. So I just hold it all day long and it'll be like slick calm bright blue sunny skies you're walking a spook and you see you're like oh (laughs) this is awesome i love it i love it yeah i actually uh we do we do a ton of top water you know walking bait fishing like that for spotted bass um once that water like you said 63 degrees man all the way through the summer that's how you're going to catch some of your biggest spotted bass uh, throughout the year and you know not just throwing it at the bank but if you have like a long point like long flatter point you throw it off the end of it you have no idea what's sitting off the end of that thing yeah. in 20 feet over 100 and it could be the biggest spot of bass of your life so <laughs> it's not just for large mouth up shallow either it's just a versatile bait you can catch them anywhere on that thing it's it's my favorite it really is I have like one like distinct top water memory that always comes back to me every year and I get like a three day window to do it. It's burning a whopper plopper and having five pounds smallies just explode on it. When that happens, you just give me a call and I will hop on a plane. That <laughs> like is awesome. It, it, um, there has to be a mayfly hatch and okay. it literally lasts for like three days and I've hit it Perfect. twice on the head. And it's just ridiculous. Like, and I figured it out. I was pre-fishing for a tournament. I just wanted them to show themselves on like riprap walls and I'm mm-hmm. burning this wa- the one ten size whopper whopper and bone. And I saw one miss it. And I'm like, he missed it by like 15 feet. So I just keep burning it because <laughs> I threw a waypoint and he hit it three feet from the boat. And it was almost a six pounder. And I'm like, what just happened? But both flipped <laughs> it in next cast. 10 feet in like burning it like they do those 10 and 6 xds yeah. as fast as i can just explodes blows it like 10 feet out of the water and i'm just like this is fun i did it all day long just oh, r- just terrible. reefing at him and i want to do that all day yeah yeah i'm like i can't wait to do it again i'm actually gonna start trying to do it here in the next couple days i think because it's oh. right around that time for it to kick off so it's gonna be fun but, uh, Let me know. I'll hop on a plane. <laughs> now we know your favorite technique, and we kind of dived into it. What is your least favorite bass technique? Like tournament, fun fishing, which one do you dread throwing the most? The drop shot. That From the really West do. Coast, you hate the Yeah, drop it's that. weird, man. Because, I mean, <laughs> yeah. drop shot on a spinning rod is probably my least favorite thing. I throw a drop shot on a baitcaster actually quite a bit. Um, I love power, power shotting that way. Power shotting, yeah. 
Yeah, we, we catch a ton of big ones on the Delta and Clear Lake, and I got no problem with that. Um, it's just when you drop down to like six pound test and you got to shake a spinning rod. And I just, I don't know, because I can throw a, a, a Nico rig, you know, a nail weighted Ocho. I can throw that all day till I'm blue in the face. I got no problem with that. It's actually, it's one of the techniques I throw pretty much all winter for spotted bass. Um, but man, when you put the weight below the bait and you rig up a drop shot, I am just not the guy for that. I don't know. I, I can do it. You know, if the scenario comes up where I need to, yeah, we're going to Saginaw Bay uh, in about a three weeks. Like, I'm going to have some drop shots rigged up. And maybe some four to six pound large or small mouths can change my mind on how much I like drop shotting. But as of right now, it's just I don't look forward to doing it. When are, when's the Sandusky event? That is the end of August. End of August. So at mm-hmm. the end of August, before you fly home to California, come up to Buffalo afterwards. We'll go drop shot Perfect. for a day. And Perfect. We'll, we'll get you dialed. I'm in. I am so in. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's something I really need to work on. It, it's a great technique. It catches, especially for those northern fish, man. They just yeah. love that thing. What I found, like, I just put a video out on, I hate to like shamelessly plug my own YouTube stuff here, but I just put a video out on it. The most important thing to drop shot fishing period is the rod and having the perfect action to it. Cause you never feel a bite unless mm-hmm. they're like coming from a hundred feet away. Yeah. You need a rod that you just see that tip just ever so For slightly. Sure. And then For sure. the lighter the line, the better. Absolutely. Like there's, there's days I'm using four and five pound tests on Lake Erie drop shotting smallies. Oh. <laughs> so, like, we do that a lot. Yeah, no, I know that whole trick, man. We do that a lot at um, the desert. And it's, it's scary. brutal. It's brutal. But it's like, you got to get bit, right? <laughs> yep. And the lighter you go, the more natural your presentation becomes Absolutely. to those fish. So, Absolutely. yeah, that that's actually very surprising. I was expecting you to say something like flipping a jig, but I'm like, oh, it's Delta. So I was like, there's no way it's a drop shot. Maybe it'd be like a Ned ring or something. Because, you know. Huh? Like, don't mind a Ned ring. I yeah, really which don't. is funny. So <laughs> Don't mind a Ned ring. I didn't like it when it first came out. I thought it was the dumbest thing in the world. And, and then, then you threw it and you're like, what? Look, look at the power of this thing. I am an idiot. It was like uh, <laughs> when the Whopper Flopper first came out. Yeah. My buddy showed it to me. I was like, that is the dumbest thing in the world. You couldn't pay me to buy it. And then I'm out there throwing my walking bait and he's throwing a whopper plopper and he's got me down like 20 to one. I'm like, okay, I'll buy one. <laughs> Larry Dahlberg was on to something. Oh, but man. Another bait though, you can think of in that whole realm of like, this thing will never work is a chatter bait. It was mm-hmm. on the market for like 10 years before Brett Height crushed them at Lake Seminole. And then everybody started buying them. I had, I had the, it was like the original, chatterbait before z-man got it all that stuff oh the, the phoenix orig- one right no it was before that one wow like it was the original original one and, and i was throwing it i remember throwing i couldn't have been 13 years old 12 13 years old maybe a little older i don't know i was young i was on the delta i tied it on i threw it for like 10 casts i was like this is the dumbest thing i've ever seen in the world I cut it off and tied a spinnerbait back on it. All I needed to do, I was like, oh, 
if only I would have thrown that. Yeah. And, and just, just gave it an honest shot because when that thing first came out on the Delta and people really started catching up, like it was, you couldn't compete with it. Yeah. So, what'd you catch him on? Big swimmer? Nope. Not telling you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, then, you see, then you see a deck full of just like, damn, I had that thing five years ago. Why didn't I oh. throw that more? <laughs> oh. I was so, yeah. I think I think so all the foot. time. Like, oh. How much money did I miss out by not throwing that stupid little thing? Oh, well. man. Well, I remember like my first chatterbait experience. It was the summer of 2009. I was fishing in tournament and I caught the biggest largemouth of my life at that time. I'd only been bass fishing like two and a half years. And it was a six and a half pounder, one of our little finger lakes, which is a mm-hmm. big fish for New York. But the guy I'm fishing with is throwing a frog pattern, like original chatterbait. And I'm like, no way. this thing is the god ugliest thing I've ever seen in my life. And he was crushing two pounders. Like every cast he caught a fish. I swear for like the first three hours of the day. And like that is Amazing. the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my life. Like yeah. that that will never work again. He threw it like every tournament for like two and a half years and caught him every tournament. And then eventually mm-hmm. people started catching on. It's yeah. <laughs> when you show I mean, look the Alabama rig. When you show a fish a bass something new that they they just that first of all it has to work and you know make sense and then it's brand new it's the most incredible thing uh, in bass fishing but the cool thing is that uh you know mother nature it, it, they protect themselves you know and she's mm-hmm. looking out for the bass because you know i know everybody thought the alabama rig was going to kill bass fishing and all that stuff and, and yeah, the chatterbait was the same way. Like it was hard to compete with. Everything's hard to compete with when it first comes out. Um, but I mean, they get conditioned, just like everything else, just like a crankbait, spinnerbait. I'm sure when those first came out, they were amazing, and now yeah. they're just part of the. You know, they're part of the tool. Yeah. You know, well, we can go. The... Say we can go one step even deeper here. Everyone's so into electronics and offshore fishing now and now mm-hmm. you're starting to see that shift back shallow mm-hmm. and those I big off school offshore piles of fish are like gone and everyone's like where are the fish mm-hmm. and that guy's laughing flipping a jig and in, in six inches of water just smashing giants be like you fools i told I you <laughs> i told you this 20 year old technique is gonna come back one day absolutely absolutely uh, uh it's just it it's going to happen. It's going to happen where you're not going to – I don't think it'll ever – obviously, offshore fishing is never going to go away. It, it's it's where the majority of the bass live when, when the time is right. Mm-hmm. But I think being shallow um, during those traditional offshore times of year, I think it's going it's to – like you said, it's already becoming a very viable um, option during those times of year. And, and – I'm happy for it. I'm a bank beater at heart. Like, uh, great example. I was at Watts bar and I'm catching them so many different ways, but flipping shallow wood, throwing spinnerbait on shallow wood, um, throwing a swim jig on shallow wood. And I would have to go down like a quarter mile stretch of bank. And I would run into two trees, two laydowns that had them. And so it was one of those things where it kind of sucks me in. And, and during the tournament, like, oh, this is going to take a little while because I got to find these fish. And I would just keep 
I, the final day, I, I kept that in my hand till like 1230. And that's when I had my three keepers on were those, those shallow baits. Um, and I finally had to, you know, as I, I literally sat down on the boat. I was like, we are not going to blow this. We are not going to be an idiot. We need to go fish five to 10 brush pots. That's all we need to do. If they're not there, then we can go back to the bank and beat it up. And the first, you know, first brush pile I pulled up on a continent out of it and I was like, okay, I can calm down. But, um, you know, the, the bank is, a, it's still a very, very viable option and it'll continue to be a very, very viable option, even in those offshore events. There's always honey holes on the bank where they'll even reload depending mm -hmm. on how it's. Oh, absolutely. Up. And I had one tree. I had one tree at Watts. Sorry to cut you off. I had one tree at no, Watts Bar. Um, I probably caught, granted, they weren't very big, but I probably caught 30 fish out of that tree over three days. That's awesome. Just one Every time you went back. Yep. Every time <laughs> I went back. And it was, you know, I was obviously the perfect tree where it was on a point where current kind of blew underneath it. And, uh, the only two keepers I, I got out of that tree, I lost them both. But um, I mean, like, just like you said, there's, there's, there's spots on the bank that they won't rival the best offshore spots, but they can compete with a lot of offshore yeah, spots. Because a lot of times you have them all to yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. Everybody is so into live scoping and side scanning and down imaging, mm -hmm. trying to find that massive mythological school of fish <laughs> that seems to be these days because you yeah. know everybody reads magazines about the tva chain in the early 2000s and how like magical it was you can go out there and just grind your way to 150 mm -hmm. fish a day and now it's like i got six bites today like yeah yeah i'd rather yeah. go to the bank and look for stuff and get six or ten bites they might not be giants but all it takes They're is fun. that one and it all takes is one swing of the bat, and you're going to catch a big one because big ones That's live it. shallow all year for one reason. There's always food shallow. There's always food. Always yeah. food. So, yeah. oh, man. Yeah, give me a jig, and let's go have some fun. I'm in. <laughs> and, I'm and it's, in. it's funny. Like, Bailey, the podcast, my podcast partner here, makes fun of me all the time. He's like, why don't you want to go catch smallmouth today? I'm like, because it's seven minutes from my house and I can do it whenever I want if I want to fish a spinning <laughs> rod. I'm like, I'm going to go yeah. drive an hour and a half and go flip some grass and see what I can catch. Oh, like, man. Yeah, I'd, yeah, I'd much rather drive an hour and a half and go catch some largies, even if I only get five all day. It's just something yeah. different. <laughs> oh, it's, it's, yeah, it, it, behind the top water, like flipping grasses, mm. it's up there. It's if it's it's tied. It's probably tied with 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 a top water and, and flipping grass is just use combat fishing. You are truly, if you got the right grass, you are fishing for some of the biggest bass in the lake. Yeah. You would, before they decided to carpet bomb almost every one of our finger lakes and kill all the grass, we had your oh. Eurasian milfoil, like growing out to like 25 foot of water that would canopy. And oh it would be God. from four foot to like 25. Oh, you can catch them anywhere that but now it's all gone there's only like two or three lakes with it yeah that's it's, so sad. it's so sad <laughs> that is so sad yeah they do that at the delta a lot too you'll have the but best stretch of grass on the whole place and then you come back a week later in the tournament it's all dead 
so sad. My favorite though is like you would get those boat lanes from like four foot of water out to like twenty foot, where they mm-hmm. just drive the pleasure boats through. Mm-hmm. And I would take a big walking bay like the sexy dog or yeah. a spook, and I would walk it in those boat lanes. And if they miss, I would follow them up with the chatterbait. And that's awesome. Catch so, you. You'd watch them come out of the grass and eat it. And like that was such a fun bite. That's yeah. That's the <laughs> so, deal, man. That's. Yeah, grass fishing is so much fun. Yeah, I can't wait. I'm like dying, and I'm like, oh man, I'm gonna be on Lake Erie like 25 in the next 30 <laughs> days. And I'm like, this is my favorite time of year to go largemouth fishing too. <laughs> I hear you. Yeah, when so, we were at uh, Saginaw, I was I had to literally force myself to get off of you know get out of the rivers and get out of the canals because I mean that is by far one of the best largemouth fishing spots i've ever seen it, yeah it is not, but they're all they two pounders right yeah, they are but man i love setting a hook and yeah. uh, i had to i had to force myself to stay offshore and, and try to or not offshore but stay smallmouth fishing and it was the hardest thing ever because i knew any time that i could pull up to the bank and, and go find some some sort of cover i was going to get bit and i'm an absolute addict when it comes to shallow water cover fishing so that was tough for me for sure fun <laughs> sign mm-hmm. me up any day and, that's, and that's where me and bailey are like really good tournament partners last year we fished an entire trail together and it's because we fish very similarly but we think differently like mm-hmm. i'd rather be in like four to six foot of water and he wants to be in like eight to twelve but the same techniques work in both places so we can zigzag and I would catch him here and he would catch him there. And I'm like, this is perfect complimentary fishing, but uh, we're going to get into one last question here. And then I'm going to, well, we have one last question that I told you about. And then I have a surprise question at the end. It's for all new people to the podcast. It's uh, Bailey's brainchild. So um, what are, you looking forward to the rest of the year and that what are your future goals and plans, not just in the MPFL, but for Brian Smith in his future of bass fishing? Um, so it's actually been, so I had a busy, busy beginning of the year, right? We had the, the Southern opens for bass, which is um, the only ones I was able to do this year. And then the MPFL and I'm sitting pretty decent in the points for the opens and all I can think about like the tournament that I will lose sleep over is that last one at Hartwell because that is the make or break for the elite series, which um, my dream is to be fishing the MPFL and the elite series. I think that would, uh, I don't know, that, that would be, that would be the absolute pinnacle. Um, for sure. So that tournament is the tournament that I'm looking forward to. And then that is obviously the, the overall, the ultimate goal is to get to the elite series and just see, like, I want to see how I stack up against, we have a, we have a ton of incredible anglers on the MPFL. Um, but man, that elite series, like those are some, those are some sticks over there too. So I want to see how I stack up and, you know, just growing up watching the elite series, uh, you know, watching the Bassmaster Classic, all that stuff. I'm absolutely in love with that, that whole, uh, that whole deal. And, and that's, that's the ultimate goal is to get there. So 
Awesome. Hopefully everything goes right and and Hartwell and, and we can uh, we can have some really really fun decisions to to make the next year. Well, my fingers are crossed for you, buddy. I appreciate so, it. Yeah, good luck at Hartwell. So now here comes the very last question: If you could sit down with anybody from any time frame throughout the history of the world and have a steak, any type of steak that you want, and a beer. Who are the three people you would invite to your table and why? Oh my goodness. Loaded. You hit me with the you hit me with the hardest one. <laughs> <laughs> this Jeez. is why this, this is why we don't tell you about it because then you can think about it, right? Yeah. So I'm, it's a very Johnny on the spot type question. Yeah. I mean, so I'll explain it, I guess. My my whole life is, is revolved around bass fishing. So they're probably going to be three bass fishermen. That's fine. Bass fishermen. Um, honestly, uh, Ray Scott would be one of the first ones. And that would just be to thank him for giving, giving me an opportunity. He's given us all an opportunity to, uh, to fish for a living. Uh, the absolute coolest thing in the world right? to say you get to fish for a living. How do you beat that? Yeah. Um, Let's see. Who would be next? Um, D. Thomas. I'd like to go sit down with D. Thomas, uh, the father of flipping, the guy who, uh, the guy who invented the flipping technique, uh, pioneered it, you know, and, and really changed fishing. Uh, and it's like I said before, it's one of my favorite techniques. And I would love to, you know, sit down and have a little chat with him about how. Uh, how that all went down and, and uh, uh, you know, what, uh, what he felt was, was him, his impact on, on bass fishing. Cause you know, those two alone have changed bass fishing for the better. Um, and I would love to sit down with those two for sure. And then the last one, uh, actually I'm going to change my last one. It's not going to be a bass fisherman. It's going to be uh, Tiger Woods. Because in his prime, uh, his mental game was the most incredible thing. In, I, I personally, I think it was the most incredible thing in sports. Yeah. The way he, like, he was never flustered. He was never phased by anything. He just, like, he just did it. He just did what he needed to do, and I would love because I struggle with the mental game for sure. So I would love to get a few few pointers from him too. But yeah, Ray Scott, uh, Dee Thomas, and Tiger Woods be quite the interesting table. That would be a really interesting table. Yeah, and I, I think you can even go like one step further if we could give you like a fourth, like a wild card. If you're looking for that mental game, Kobe Bryant, like that oh, yeah. guy. It was an insane, like, mental game, just always in it. Not afraid to lose, put it all on the table. Mm -hmm. Ultimate Mm -hmm. desires to win. And I think we could say that about most, like, touring bass fishermen, right? Like, you have to be afraid not to lose because we're always going to lose. It's the, yeah. If you're a bass fisherman (laughs) and you do it for a living, you that's what you do. You're a professional loser. We're the best losers in the world. So. That's it, man. That's it. Yeah, Kobe Bryant would be an awesome one. Yeah. For so. sure. 
and I, I hate to interject that on you, and I apologize for that, but, like, whenever somebody mentions Tiger Woods and, like, the mental side of things, I'm like, then instantly my mind goes to Kobe, and I'm like, that oh, guy sure. was a freak yeah. all in himself, like, mm-hmm. just yeah. insane. He, he, yeah, he, he hated losing, but he knew how to lose to get better. Yeah. And then his work ethic was – I don't know if there's a professional athlete that worked harder than him. No. It, 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 you put that kind of work ethic with that kind of talent, it's, it's, you could see his career. It's Unrivaled. Yep, absolutely. Unrivaled. So, well, Bryant, I want to say thank you for coming on with us here today. And um, appreciate it. We look forward to having you on again. Good luck Absolutely. at Hartwell. Thanks for taking the hour. We went a little over. And um, I tried to get Boomer to, like, send me a story to bring up that would might be, oh. like, slightly embarrassing or something that happened, but he never <laughs> got back to me. So, good. That's because yeah. he was stuck at an airport last night. So. Oh, no. So if he would have responded when I knew Bailey couldn't, couldn't answer, I was going to have him, like, surprise guests and tell a Brian oh. Smith story but brain wreck yeah he didn't respond in time so but i i really i wanted to make that happen so maybe what we can do at the end of the season is have a npfl season recap with you and boomer i'd love to do that that'd be awesome man we have you guys yeah and you tour together so i'm sure you Mm -hmm. see a lot of crazy stuff because you know that's what happens out there in the world the wide world yeah. of bass fishing. So that's it. We are an absolute disaster when we are together. So yeah, that'd be a fun show, man. We got some great stories for that. Love it. So we'll get that set up here towards the end of summer. And uh for now, I'm just gonna end it here. So thanks everybody for tuning in and listening. If you don't mind, subscribe, hit a comment down below, or leave a review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. We greatly appreciate it. But for now, until next time. Well, that was an awesome show. Hope you guys enjoyed it. If you can and your app allows it, please leave us a rating and review. It really helps us get seen more, which allows us to access more time and more variables to be able to bring to the show to make it better for you guys. So hope you enjoyed it. And if you did and you liked some of the things we talked about in this episode, and want to check out our show partners. All of that is in every single show description. You can click down there. It's got all of our discount codes, all of our links to our show partners, where you guys can go and support the people that support this show and help us make this show happen. And of course, this show does not happen without you guys. You guys know we appreciate you. You're the Sears Sanger fam. You're the reason we're here. Appreciate y'all, and we'll see y'all on the next one.